0: going to continue in our series, Liberty in Jesus. So if you will, turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And the title of my sermon today is Liberty Through Faith. Liberty Through Faith. And remember, you can always just make liberty and freedom synonymous with each other. Liberty Through Faith. And then once you've found your place, feel free to stand to your feet as we honor the word of God. One thing I shared in our first service was that the theme of Galatians is freedom. Uh, The theme of Galatians is that we receive true freedom in Christ. Christ brings about freedom from our former slave master known as sin. And that's why I love this book so much is that the main theme is freedom. So beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, the Bible says this, You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Let's pray. God, we lift up this congregation to you today. We lift this service up to you today. And God, we entrust it completely into your hands, Holy Spirit. We pray that your power would be with us, your presence, God. Lord, I know that um, if we meet without you in the midst, it's in vain. So, Lord, today we pray that you would be in our midst, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would soften our hearts to what you have for us as we study the word, as we know the word is sharper than any two-edged sword, uh, piercing to the very dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And God, today we pray that your word would do that, that we would leave encouraged, that we would leave transformed, and that we would leave ready to change the world with the gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So many of you enjoy American history, and I know I do too. Um, and when you think about American history, you really can't think about it without considering the Revolutionary War and the significance that it played in us becoming a nation, the nation that we know today. Um, As we know, the Continental Congress of the United States declared national independence on the 4th of July, 1776. And sometimes we stop there. We think, okay, that was a done deal and it was finished. However, the declaration was followed by several more years of war that would not officially end until 1783. So essentially you had the Declaration of Independence where the nation declared itself independent, and then you had about seven years of war that followed. In almost every conflict of war, any war that you study, you can pinpoint one battle that either turned the tide to an eventual end or that essentially won the war. And in the Revolutionary War, that battle was the Battle of Yorktown, which took place October 19th, or I'm sorry, October 9th through the 19th in 1781. So George Washington was the general. And many of you, you know, he's one of the great war heroes of American history. He was a a war genius and just a a strategist unlike any that's ever been seen or known. Uh, George Washington used the element of surprise by attacking the British forces who were in Yorktown. So just to give you a little backstory, the American forces were up in New York where there were also a few British troops. And what George Washington did was, was in order to have an element of surprise, he made sure that fake battle plans fell into the hands of the British Army. So they had these fake battle plans that were telling them that the troops were going to stay in New York, the American troops were going to stay in New York and eventually attack them from there. Not to mention, George Washington also had the colonists build um, basically fake bunkhouses and fake ovens so that the British would just definitively assume, wow, they're hunkering down here in New York for a while, so we're safe, we just need to keep our eyes on them. The whole time George Washington is planning an attack on the British troops in Yorktown, Virginia. So whenever we get to that part there, it says that in in the history that Washington along with 2,500 American troops and 4,000 French troops marched south. The French and the Americans dug trenches and they continued to relentlessly bombard the British. On October the nineteenth, the British had all they could take, and they surrendered. Even though the war officially continued until 1783, it is definitively known that the British loss at Yorktown was so demoralizing that they lost their will to fight, and they gave up. So I want to th- I want you to think through this lens here as we talk about the spiritual aspect of what we're looking at here in Galatians. Freedom or liberty with the colonists, the freedom was the prize that they were trying to win, okay? Now, freedom, we understand, no man can offer or give us. Freedom is something that is given by God to mankind. He gave us a free will. He gave, gave us an independent spirit. Um, anyone who oppresses groups of people, they are obviously not in the will of God because God did create us in an image. He created us to be free, okay? So, so ultimately, even the freedom that we enjoy in America is ultimately provided by God. Okay, but there were tools that were used for the colonists and for us as a nation, tools that were used to obtain our freedom. And in this case, with the Revolutionary War, that tool was war. Okay, so the colonists and the people here used war as a way of obtaining freedom. Now, in the same way, spiritually, and this is what I want you to get this morning, in the same way, spiritually, God is the one who provides the freedom. In Christ, God is the one who provides the spiritual freedom in giving His only begotten Son as a sacrifice on the cross. He died and He rose again for our sins. That freedom is available because of what Jesus did. However, our tool of obtaining that freedom is called faith. The Bible teaches us in Ephesians two eight and nine: For by grace are you saved through faith, and that it's not of yourselves, not of works, so that no one can boast. Okay, it's a gift. From God, So, faith is that tool. Faith is that channel whereby we are able to obtain our salvation. Well, here Paul is arguing with the Galatians because they have been infiltrated by this false doctrine called legalism. In other words, we have these people called Judaizers. They're people who claim to be Christians, but continue to tell new converts, new people to Christianity, well, yeah, salvation is by grace through faith, but... Men, you also need to be circumcised. Uh, You also have to eat the right foods according to the dietary law of Moses. You also have to observe the laws of the Sabbath. You also have to observe the laws of the festivals. And they began to bind these Christians up in all of these legalities to the point where they were believing that their salvation was not based upon faith in the gospel, but it was based upon their ability to do the law, to do this X, Y, Z, to obey the letter of the law. And it began to appear and even be a completely different gospel. So here Paul begins to go into several questions. Actually, verses 1 through 5 of Galatians 3 are basically question after question after question that Paul begins to ask the Galatians because he's wanting them to think through the life they're living. He's wanting them to really come to the conclusion that salvation is only by grace through faith, and that there is no other way. And he's asking these questions in a rhetorical way. You you know how people sometimes will ask you a question and they don't ask you because they actually want you to give an answer, but they ask you in such a way that, okay, I get it. I know what you're trying to tell me. I know know how you're trying to come across. I mean, it's like your kids, you know. Um, If you have a a rowdy kid, and I've got a couple of those, All right, and they do something just insane. You know, like uh, one of my, I'm not going to mention his name, but um, in (laughs) low... You guys won't believe this. And, and Don't turn me into DSS, please. Um, so my, uh, my in-laws and my brother-in-law took one of my kids to Lowe's, and before they knew it, he was up in the top of one of the racks that are close to the ceiling looking down at him, okay? And that's, that's one of those situations where you ask that rhetorical question, was that really a good idea? Because it's not that, oh, yeah, that was a good idea, Dad. No, we, we know what the answer is. That was not a good idea, but that's just an example. I have plenty, but we won't go into that. <laughs> so if you guys are taking notes, I've uh, I, I got a couple of points here that I just want you guys to, to reflect upon later. The, number, the first one is, which is it? So that's the first point, which is it? So basically, we're going to be looking at two different ideas, two different ways of thinking about the gospel. We're going uh, to have faith on this side, and we're going to have the law on this side, okay? So which is it? Is it faith or law? Um, So, as Paul's asking these questions, I want to give you guys just a kind of warm-up session here as we think through these questions. So, if you guys could, go ahead and give me that first slide with that first question on it. So, the first question is... Got the Jeopardy song? Okay, there we go. Spend or save? Okay, now, listen, I know some of you ladies, I know what the answer is, always spend, right? Spend, spend. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry, that was... That was not right. That was stereotypical. <laughs> Hannah's not in here, is she? Okay, good. Spend or save? So in certain situations, depending on the question, either answer could be right, okay? It could be one of these situations where my checking account is in the red. I go to Bass Pro Shop, and I see a reel that I've got to have, a fishing rod, okay? And that thing is sweet. It's nice, a couple hundred bucks. Um, you know, I'm going on a fishing trip in a couple of weeks, You know, yeah, my checking account's in the red, but that's why they have overdraft protection. You know, I can pay the $12 fee and overdraft it and go ahead and get this thing. What's the right answer in that situation would y'all say? Say, Say, that's right. Ben, you don't need that fishing rod. You got a a basement full of them. You don't need that thing, right? But here's a different way where spend may be the answer. So my wife and I were at the mall, and, and she finds a dress, and she tries it on, and she's beautiful in the dress. And uh, I may not really have the money, but I know if we don't get the dress, I'm probably going to be in trouble. What would you say the best uh, answer for that? Oh, spin. Hey, Amen. Did y'all hear the guys? Hey, Amen. Son, I tell you what, y'all act like y'all been there and done that. So, spin, that's right. So, depending on the question, the answer can be different. Let's go ahead and look at that next slide there. <clears throat> so, the next slide, elevator or stairs? Now, when I go to the hospital to make a visit... I usually park on like the second sub level at Mission. And when I get out of my truck and I walk over to where the elevator and the stairs are, you got the elevator on the right and you got the stairs on the left. Okay, and I find myself making, the, or, you know, trying to make this decision quite often. And what I do is I look at the elevator, I look at the stairs, and then I, I do this. <laughs> okay, so based upon what you see, you're not gonna hurt my feelings. What should I do? <laughs> stairs. What? Tyler, did you say elevator? Man, he. <laughs> Hey, as long as I look good to Tyler, that's all that matters. (laughs) But Tyler, the correct answer is stairs. But thank you so much, buddy. I really appreciate that. Now, some of you, though, may not be able to take stairs. In your case, the right answer is the elevator, right? So it could be either. All right, let's go to that next slide. This one's going to get a little interesting. All right, so in this situation, you got three choices. Sometimes, as you guys know, on multiple choice tests, the more choices, the harder it gets sometimes. (laughs) what is that none of the above Matthew alright yeah I hear you wait till you hear the questions okay it could depend right so let's say someone asks out of these three choices which is the best looking well hang on a minute But before you even think the obvious answer is Ben right I mean let's just not even challenge that here's the next one who's the smartest duh Ben again Ben alright but here, here's where it might get a little tricky. Who's the most athletic? Chase. Chase there you go. See, we, it could be right in a different situation. Now, Daniel, there's one for you too. Where is Daniel? Oh, he's over there, yeah. Um, who's the most musically inclined? <laughs> That's another one of those D answers, right? <laughs> yeah, right in your own answer. There you go. Sorry, Daniel. I tried to get you one at least, buddy. All right, let's go to that last slide there. So now we're going to get to the, the question that Paul is trying to answer. Now, in this case, all right, if I said, what was it that Moses went on Mount Sinai to get when the children of Israel were in the wilderness? You would say the law, all right? But then if I ask the question, how do you obtain salvation? Is it by faith or by the law? What would you say? Faith. By faith. That's correct. So here is the question That he battles with for these next several verses. So if you look in chapter 3 verse 1. He begins pretty harshly against the Galatians. And says you foolish Galatians. When is the last time you've been called foolish? Has it been recent? No that's not very often normally that we're called foolish. And here Paul is doing it in a very formal way to an entire group of believers. He said, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? So here's what that saying is. Paul is saying, who has tricked you into believing this completely different doctrine? You're the very group of people whom I publicly portrayed Christ as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one who died and rose again. I'm the one who preached this message to you about who Jesus is. I'm the one who brought the gospel to you. You're the ones who confirmed and affirmed that the gospel was indeed true and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ based on what I said. After all that happened, what has tricked you into now saying That, yeah, it's still by Christ, but it's also by X, Y, and Z. It's also by living by the law. It's a very good question because he's getting them to think. So when we look at that first question there in verse 1, it's a question of who. Who has deceived you? But if you see, the central part of that question is actually about Jesus. It's a question about who Jesus is. And as these Judaizers were tricking the Galatians to believe that they had to do all this extra stuff to get saved... If they had just reflected on who Jesus was, if they had just remembered that Jesus is the one who, while dying on the cross before he gave up the ghost, he said, it is finished. If they had just thought about what did Jesus mean by saying it is finished, what he meant was, was there's nothing left to be done. The price had been paid in full. It's like if you have a $100 debt, and I pay $99 against your debt, you have $1 still that you owe. Listen, that's not paid in full. When I pay $100 towards your $100 debt and it's paid in full, that's a complete payment. In the same way, when Jesus died on the cross, he was my substitute on the cross. He took God's wrath in my place. The Bible teaches us that the payment for my sin, the payment for your sin, was paid in full, which means there's nothing left to do. There's nothing left to add. Jesus doesn't need your help in the salvation process, is what I'm trying to say. And there's nothing that we can add to him. And this is what Paul is trying to get at. He's saying, I preach this to you, this one named Jesus, and yet you're believing a lie. You go down to verse 2 and you see the second question asked. He said, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Well, that's a question of theology, and we've talked about that in service before. We talked about the fact that when you become a believer in Jesus, you become a new person. And the reason you become a new person is because you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. He literally moves in on the inside and indwells you. And what Paul is saying here, he's saying, did the Holy Spirit indwell you because you were obeying the law? Did the Holy Spirit indwell you because you were a really good person? Or did the Holy Spirit indwell you because you believed the gospel, because you believed the message of Jesus? We go on down to the third and fourth questions there in verse 3. We see there in verse 3 it says, Are you so foolish? There's that again. After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Here he's making the point of it's not adding up, guys. How, how can you say that you're not good enough to initially receive salvation and then you're going to get that by the Spirit? You're going to get that by trusting by faith. But then somehow you've got to do the law, you've got to go by the letter of the law, and you've got to provide perform these rituals and observances in order to keep your salvation. He said it doesn't add up. If you weren't good enough to initially obtain your salvation by your good works, I promise you that you will not be good enough to keep your salvation by your good works. If you started by the Spirit, you need to finish by the Spirit. The one who saved you is the only one who can keep you until the day of redemption. We get on down to the fifth question in verse 4. It says this, Paul says, Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? Now, in, when it comes to the experiences of people, we don't like to base truth on people's experiences. Because sometimes you can get four or five different people, they can be witnesses to the same event, and they're going to have five different experiences of the same event, Right? Which sometimes can be good as you get different perspectives, but it's not the best way to base truth because a lot of times emotion is an experience and everyone's emotion changes, right? But in this case, Paul is pointing to their experience in knowing Jesus. He's saying, listen, do you not realize, do you not remember how wonderful it was when Jesus changed your life? Do you not remember how wonderful that feeling of peace was when you knew that your sins had been forgiven? Do you not remember how wonderful it was to be able to lay your head on your pillow at night and go to sleep knowing that there is nothing between you and the Lord Jesus? He's saying, did you experience all that in vain? Are you really willing to just kick all that to the side in order to embrace this new doctrine, this new gospel that's being uh, perpetrated to you guys? The sixth question, verse 5, says this. So then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? In other words, does God give you the Spirit and do mighty things through you because you're good? Did God come your way one day and save you because you're good? Well, the Bible teaches us, that the absolute... Uh, clear underlying theme of scripture is that man is sinful. Man cannot save himself. Man cannot be good enough. We see in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, after they had eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they immediately sowed fig leaves together to cover their shame, to try to cover their sin. And God comes, comes through the garden and he immediately knows something's happened. And he begins to speak to them. He calls them out on their sin and basically states Those fig leaves are not good enough. And it says that he slayed an animal and covered them with those skins of that animal because Adam and Eve's way of being good, Adam and Eve's way of atoning for their own sins, fell short. There had to be blood. There had to be a sacrifice in order for their sins to be forgiven. We see that throughout Scripture. We see the fact that man falls short time and time again. Every hero in the Bible, You name him or her, they had failures. They had shortcomings. And what's interesting is, is you would think if this Bible was written by men, like many atheists or agnostics say, you would think that the heroes of the Bible would be perfect. You would think that King David would never have committed adultery with Bathsheba. You would have thought that Peter never would have stuck his foot in his mouth. You would have thought all these things about these biblical heroes, but it shows you that it wasn't written by men. That indeed it was actually written by men inspired by God because the only hero that's perfect in the scriptures is who? Jesus, God, that's right. It's a book written by God. It's here to expose our sinful nature and expose us to the only solution, and that's trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ through faith. Okay, through faith. So here in verse 5, Paul basically lays out the entire argument. He says, So then does God give you the Spirit, And do miracles through you, among you, by your doing the works of the law? Or, and here's the right answer, is it by believing what you heard? Believing what you heard. Today, my friends, I want to tell you, the definition of biblical faith is this, believing the gospel message. When somebody tells you that Jesus died for you and he rose again, that you're a sinner in need of a savior, and that to repent of your sins and turn to him, you can be saved and you believe that and you trust that, that's faith. And the Bible teaches us that upon your faith in the gospel message, you're saved. And there's a world out there that'll tell you there's no way it's that easy. They'll say there's no, there's no way that I can receive eternal life simply by trusting in the work of someone else. Well, I'm telling you, if you believe the Bible today, that's faith. And that's how you get saved. And that's how salvation comes to a lost soul. is simply by believing the preached gospel, the spoken gospel. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says this. The Bible teaches that it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. So the second thing that I want you guys to write down is hearing with faith. So the first thing we we ask is, which is is it? Is it faith or is it law? Well, now that we know that it is truly faith, that is how someone obtains salvation, that is the means and the channel by which we can be saved, provided by Christ, but we get it through faith, all right? Now the next question is, is what does it mean to hear with faith? What does it mean to have the faith that the Bible says is necessary for salvation? Well, in verses 6 through 9, we see where Paul now begins to explain the whole idea, the whole reasoning behind the fact that these Jews who relied so much on their Jewish heritage were now going to be educated as to how actually their father Abraham was saved. But before we get to that, I want to read a quote from John MacArthur that says this. He said, salvation is appropriated by faith. In other words, obtained by faith. And that faith is personal, internal, internal. And spiritual. Listen to this, this is important. Having nothing to do with ceremonies, rituals, observances, good works, or externals of any sort. Faith has always been the God required response that brings salvation. We know that in Ephesians 2 8 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. So, now as we look here in these verses, as we go down, let's start in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3. And this is where Paul takes the discussion. He said, just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And that comes off the heels of verse 5, where he said, Or is it by believing what you heard? And basically, he's using Abraham as the example. Abraham showed us this historically. You know, these Jews who would have been pushing these um, Old Testament rituals knew Abraham. That they, they knew every story about Abraham. They put their value and their worth in the fact that they were children of Abraham. And now Paul is going to use the very one that they've based all of this law, they've based all of these rituals, they based the circumcision, which was first given to Abraham on, they've based all this false doctrine on, and now Paul's going to turn it over on its heels and turn it over on its head. Here he says, listen... Y'all think Abraham was saved by works? No. The Bible teaches us in Genesis chapter 15 that just like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So what does that mean? Does that mean that because Abraham was circumcised, because he was the father of the nation of Israel, because he was a good man, is that why he was called righteous? Is that why he's in heaven today? No, the Bible says the reason Abraham... The Old Testament Abraham is in heaven right now is because he believed God. He believed God. God spoke, and Abraham said, Okay, I trust it and I believe it. The same way that anybody gets saved through the gospel. Jesus died and rose again for the salvation of your soul to save you from your sins. Will you trust him today? I will. That's salvation. That's faith. It's believing what is heard, trusting in the Word of God. That's salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. Listen here. So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. We go on down, and we continue to think through that, and we think about God's gift of communication. Some of you are really good communicators, all right? Some of you say 100 words to my 10 in a conversation, okay? That's, I've, 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 I'm an expert here, just like this, just listening, you know, because some of you are really good talkers. And there's some of you I've got to, like, drag the words out of. You know, I'm like, do they even like me? I mean, they never speak to me. I say, how you doing? Good. Family, how's your family doing? Good. And that's all I get out of them, you know? But communication, whether it's little or a lot, is a gift from God. Think about that. Two of the major events in biblical history center around communication. Number one is the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel was a negative experience when humanity used the gift of communication to such an extent that they built a a tower that was offensive to God. But then you fast forward several thousand years and you get to Pentecost in Jerusalem where God then does the opposite. Instead of confusing the languages and keeping people from understanding, he makes all people understand what is being taught in that gospel message. Then we realize in John chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus himself is called the Word. It says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, you look at that Greek word, word, word and it's actually the word logos, which basically means a statement or a communication And then you go down to verse 14 in that same chapter, and you see that the one who is called the Word is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. Now let me ask you this. How do we know this Jesus character? How how have we come to know of his existence? How have we come to know who he is? It's because he came and intersected humanity. It's because he took on flesh as an act of communication to the world. I am God in the flesh. And when he came to earth as the word who became flesh, as the one communicating the nature and the character of God and paying the price for our sins, he left a mark that is unmistakable. You know, I've talked several times with people who, if you look through the history of mankind, and you look at figures of history that stand out, most of those figures come from families with a lot of money. Maybe they come from royal families. Maybe they were great war heroes. Many of them lived long years and were able to accomplish a lot during life. But when you look at Jesus and you compare Jesus to all of those historical figures, you begin to see that Jesus lived in one of the most obscure places in the world. He he lived in a place that was known for poverty and known for shepherds and known for agriculture. He was the the son of of a carpenter and a carpenter himself. No money, no wealth. From a a town called Nazareth, a town that was known as just kind of ooh. You know, it's just not a place I want to go to, right? He only lived for 33 years, young life, and only three of those were public. Only three of those, he was actually engaging in ministry and doing miracles and doing these things that he's so well known for in the Gospels. And yet, there is no other person in human history that has impacted the world like Jesus Christ. Christianity has absolutely changed the world. If you study Western civilization all the way back to the Greek and Roman times, you're going to find that Christianity had a dramatic influence on what we experience today in Western civilization in what our society is built upon and what our legal system is built upon, on the fact that we have orphanages in our society and the fact that we have charities in our society. Nearly every orphanage and charity started out by being a Christian organization. Most of your institutions of higher education were founded as Christian institutions. You see all of our Ivy League schools, they started out as Christian institutions. You see that Christianity is not only responsible for charitable works, um, orphan care, but also... Uh, responsible for higher education and creativity and art. You see, many of the artists from the Renaissance and the Reformation were, were Christians. Literally, Jesus has changed the world, not only by the gospel, but in every other aspect of life, it's Jesus. He's the one. It's all him. So now when we think about that communication from God, God communicated to us not by visiting us and speaking in our ear, but he communicated the word to us by sending his son to be the one, God who became flesh, to communicate us his existence and his love for us. And now when we talk about salvation, now when we talk about a changed life, we look back to the cross because it actually happened a historical event in history. And we're able to know God because... He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And now as we see the scriptures, as we study Jesus, as we tell people the gospel, we're simply asking them to do the same thing that Abraham did. Hey, listen, God sent his son. He communicated to us the means by which we are to be saved. He died for us and rose again. Will you believe it? Will you simply believe what you hear? And based upon the word of God, God's word says, God will save you if you'll simply believe. Let's pray.